This is the podcast, Putting on a Coat of Colors. This podcast is a community storytelling project of Coat of Colors, a council of Cathedral of Hope, United Church of Christ in Dallas, Texas. Our hope is that this podcast will make room for persons of color and their white allies who are both gay and straight to tell their joys and frustrations, to tell their sense of belonging and their sense of exclusion, to celebrate our uniqueness to the larger community and celebrate our commonalities, and to invite members of the larger community to join in this purpose. Thank you for listening. Now let's get started. Here is our podcast host, Thomas Riggs. In this second part of the White Ally Roundtable with Pat, Pam, and Roger, they talk about the value of being a part of Code of Colors. For these three, belonging was initially an exercise of being in the background and being more of a listener than a contributor and being a worker bee and not a leader imposing their own agenda. But they also expressed that they had some fear of saying or doing the wrong thing that might not be very endearing. And in some ways, they saw their self-imposed disempowerment as a means of creating an understanding of their siblings. So once we decided to become allies or co-conspirators, what have been the joys for you? I mean, and how would you speak to others about the value of having been a part of this group? Well, it's been really interesting uh, because of the meetings that are now online. And, you know, meeting people and interacting with them online is a little bit different, obviously, than in person. So it's almost like um, coming from that venue into into actually meeting people in person and uh, and um, there's there's something about seeing the faces up there you know and trying to really connect with people to begin with but once you're in the company of people it's a whole different thing but I remember um, thinking right from the beginning this is a space for me to listen Mm -hmm. This is, a, this is a space for me to listen, maybe occasionally ask a relevant question, you know, to offer to be a worker bee whenever that's needed. But this is not a space for me to come in and, you know, seek a, a leadership or try to push my own agenda forward. And um, personality-wise, experience-wise, those things were like challenging, you know, having been that person who uh, wasn't used to being in that role. But that has been a wonderful experience for me, really, just listening. And then sometimes feeling like uh, I was instrumental in planting a little seed that Mm -hmm. turned into something bigger that the organization um, has ownership of and feels proud of and whatever. But having just you know planted that little seed rather than um, that been in charge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How about you, Roger? 
I'd like to answer this uh, with a part A and a part B. Uh, well, a personal experience and the teacher. <laughs> and, uh, and an observation. So I'm going to pick up on what Pam said, and this is kind of where I'm going to skate on tonight a little bit. So pre-COVID, going back to 18 and 19, all of our meetings were in person. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> That's where I first met you. you. You began coming to those, and we'd often be the only, you know, be on hell, and then you and me would be the only non-African-American. I am a Pisces, so I'm pretty transparent and un unfiltered when I speak. And I had a major catharsis that yesterday my African-American chiropractor asked me what I was going to be doing this weekend. And I told her about that I wouldn't have offered it and asked and I said, well, tomorrow morning I'm doing this podcast and I'm going to talk about this experience. So in those meetings when I first started coming, it was almost like with fear and trembling um, because we were in person. And I thought, you know, you're here by the skin of your teeth. And then the things would happen was like, well, are they glad I'm here? Do they wish I'd go away? Are they <laughs> celebrating? You know, and, and, and over week, you know, months and months and months that continued. And then I would almost never offer my opinion. I'm going to say something wrong. You know, it's like, why do we need your opinion? You know, it's like it, what you said. It's like, this is my chance to listen. Only I noticed it was more negative. I was actually pulling my energy in like mm. I was frightened. Mm. And winner, God bless her, you know, it's like, Roger, what do you think? And sometimes, you know, and then Philippa would encourage me, and it's like, I'd start to give my opinions. What I told my chiropractor yesterday was, I had this major catharsis, and I looked at her and I said, this helped me understand just in the beginning what it's like to be a minority in the larger minority group and wonder if you're empowered. I said, I disempowered myself because I wasn't sure if it was all right to speak. I didn't know if I would do it right. I didn't even know if I belonged there or was wanted there. And um, her name is Bree, and I said, Bree, it was an eye-opening experience, and she just was grinning ear to ear, and she said, good, good, and I said, yeah, and I'm moving through that, but that, that was the first one. The, ob the other observation is, and it's a little bit like Sandbridge, I delight in the fact that our group, the school we have adopted is almost 100% Hispanic. Yes. So once again, like Sam, you know, it's like we were stepping out outside of ourselves, and that always gives me joy when we're doing a teacher appreciation or we're doing a food distribution. Is like, you guys have all been there. It's like 100% Hispanic, and here's the African and African American and white group who is ministering to them. And I think that only, you know, you're talking about diversity and inclusion that only, to me, fosters and facilitates the sense that we are all one and that we care about each other. Yeah. So that's my A and B. <laughs> yeah. Well, your bilingualism... Yeah. Oh, and I love really, going and speaking with Spanish with them, too. Yeah. Really yeah. a bridge. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as well. Spanish was one of my college majors, so I, I you know, I'm older now, but I delight in having the practice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Golly, there is so much, you know, there's so much to say about the value of being part of uh, Code of Colors. Um, you know, 
on the simplest level, you know, all of us, by the time you get to be our age, have sat through many, many, many meetings. And I will have to say, Code of Colors have some of the most well-run meetings that I've ever been in. And they have a structure. They've had a structure ever since I began. I don't think the structure has changed. Um, and yet, it doesn't feel rigid to me. And there, you know, there is some flexibility. Um, the other thing that's part of the, and this is partly leadership, but I think it's just part of the vision as well. I just feel like the leadership especially wants to hear every voice. And so like Winter turned to you that time and said, Roger, what do you think about it? I think Philippa, particularly in our group, is very, very good about doing that and affirming a diversity of ideas and um, um, encouraging us to explore things that, that people uh, bring as ideas, even if it's just in a subcommittee, well, let's, you know, kind of create a subcommittee and see where that goes. Uh, like our, you know, our movie night, uh, our for, uh, what was that, for um, Juneteenth, yeah where we did Just Mercy, and we got to an audience that was much broader than just Code of Colors themselves, and uh, I mean, that's just one example. Our dinner table was such, which Pamela brought to us, was such a lovely experience of that as well. Um, I, it's just sh probably schmucky to say, kind of, but I, I love these people. Our people that we work with um, in all of these. I mean, I. Well, I'll just leave it at that. I, you know, if you went to pick fine people any place, you couldn't find a finer group of folks. Um, and I've especially gotten, you know, as we do an activity like. Um, the school food distribution, or as you say, teacher appreciation. As we work together on committees, that angel dragged me into writing a Kwanzaa script last Christmas. I mean, last, you know, uh, holiday season. I'm like, what? And, you know, so to be able to work with them close, you know, closely. Thank you for listening to this edition of Putting on a Coat of Colors. This podcast is a community storytelling project of Coat of Colors, a Council of Cathedral of Hope, United Church of Christ in Dallas, Texas. Cathedral of Hope is the largest predominantly LGBTQIA congregation in the world. Our church has a strong community presence and global reach through its online ministry. We self-identify as a church that is progressive, inclusive, and social justice-minded. You can find out more about Cathedral of Hope at www.cathedralofhope.com. In the mission statement of Code of Colors, we assert that, through faith, hope, and love, Code of Colors is a council for all people that seeks to decrease the cultural divide and increase a multicultural presence in the church and the community. You can find out more about the outreach programs of this group by searching Code of Colors on Facebook. That's spelled C-O-L-O-U-R-S. 
and request to join the group. 